Charlie Higson and Friends on Scala Radio. Hello and welcome to a brand new series on Scala Radio, Charlie Higson and Friends. I'm the Charlie Higson part of that. And for the next four weeks, I'm going to be joined by some of my best friends, who you'll know too, because I haven't invited any of my ordinary everyday friends, my real friends onto the show, only my celebrity chums. So in the coming weeks, I'll be welcoming Vic Reeves, Arabella Weir and Bob Mortimer. But this week, it is my oldest friend, in fact, genuinely my oldest friend, Paul Whitehouse. Now, Paul and I created the Fast Show together. Yeah, yeah, all right. on the air now. The people know who I am. It's you they don't know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie, who? A try went up across the nation. Yes, well, uh, well yes, you, you are here to um, make me look more important. Uh, yeah, no, we met a long time ago, which I'll get onto in a minute. And um, we worked on various things, including with Harry Enfield and obviously doing the Far Show. And w- probably the best known thing we've actually done together, performed together, would be Ted and Ralph, where I play the lonely aristocrat in love with his gardener, Ted, as played by you. That's right, Charlie. And can I say, because yes. I'm, I'm not sure that you've had uh, enough uh, kudos for your extraordinary performance as Ralph. Well, that's very kind of you to say. I think I'll have you back on the show. But you have... I I don't think I'll be coming back on the show. (laughs) (laughs) But you have said in the past, but you didn't actually particularly enjoy playing Ted because you just had to stand there doing nothing. Well, I just stood there, you know, with elaborate sideburns on and a dodgy old barber coat doing a fairly unconvincing Irish accent. As long as all I had to say was, I'm before it about the drainage in the lower fields are... I could get away with it, but anything longer than that. Have you noticed that, that we're doing? <laughs> yes. And uh, as long as you can just speak on, on a level, it's when you have to be suddenly angry. Exactly. Well, you have to you know, be a real person and yes. genuinely emote. No, in, uh, right different, out the window. Very difficult, no, but a catchphrase, fine. Yeah, so we draw a veil over that. But I do, but personally, I do have... the actual performance, it was a bit dull being tense. Yes. While I sing and dance all around you. Nowadays, I yearn for dull and only one line in the sketch. You know, yes. I, don't, I don't want to have to remember it all. <laughs> now, um, w- I think let's play some music. Well, and, the real um, reason we're here, right? Yes, and I'd, I'd love to kick off with some Vaughan Williams. Not the Lark Ascending. <laughs> the lark no, it's not the lark ascending. Oh, no, I know you've said you didn't, you wouldn't want the lark ascending because you feel it's been slightly overplayed. Just a bit, yeah. But it's, but is it not still one of your favourite? It's huge. But it's, yeah, I just remember my dad saying that as well. You know, he said, "Oh, it's the, the blooming lark." He just didn't say blooming lark ascending again. And I think it has been overused, hasn't it? Well, I think it regularly gets voted the sort of favourite piece of classical music. I think that's why it's just that, really, Charlie. But, you know, I mean, I think also it slightly means that people don't always listen to other bits by Vaughan Williams. Well. Um, So I've chosen a a slightly lesser well-known piece. It's from um, a dance piece he did, a ballet, I suppose, uh, called A Job. Can you say lesser well-known? Or surely it's less well-known. Less. I think I meant to say a lesser, not a lesser piece. Anyway... It is less well-known. Not as clever as you think, are you? <laughs> it's from his ballet Job or Job. Um, it must be quite a laugh because uh, Job is one of the lighter bits of the Bible. So, um, and this is, it is from scene eight, 
Altar Dance and Heavenly Pavan by Ralph Vaughan Williams. That was from Ralph Vaughan Williams' ballet, Job, uh, part eight, Altar Dance and Heavenly Pavan, played by the Halle Orchestra under Sir Mark Elder. Um, now, Paul. Yes, can I just take you back a bit, Charlie? Yes. Back to Vaughan Williams, because I didn't realise there was even a Ralph there. You thought his first name was Vaughan? Hell, no, I knew he, I <laughs> knew right, he was related, but I'd never thought. I wonder what precedes it. So I'd sort of gone along with Vaughan Williams, which is quite a good name, Vaughan Williams, isn't it? Yes. Now, I hope we don't get millions of listeners saying, actually, it's pronounced Rafe, because I, 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 because we don't often hear that part. I, I think it's Ralph, but you're no help. You can't... Um... Ted and Rafe. Yeah, Ted and Rafe. So, yes, that ties in with, uh, with uh, um, our comedy work. But we, we, as I said before, we first met before that. In 1977, it was, in Norwich at the University of East Anglia. And uh, we were both in the same part, residential part, which is an old RAF base, miles from the actual university. Yeah. And I have a memory... Barren would be the word to describe it, wouldn't it? Barren? Well, it was, but, you know, as a student, it didn't really matter. Vibrant inside, barren from the outside. Yes. And I have a memory of... First meeting you, seeing you, and in my memory, you were wearing you were wearing white jeans. There's a very good chance that I was wearing white jeans, Charlie. But I think I'd sprayed 1977 on them, and some other sort of punky thing. And I do remember going out because I was sort of spent most of my uh, early years, formative years, in suburban Enfield, and. Um, we went out one night to, there was a disco, and uh, we went to this disco, but we thought we'd go fairly punky, right? So I remember, remember vividly spraying my, these white jeans with some black, you know, sort of slogans and very Clash-like. Yes. And I, as I was going out, my nan, who's proper Welsh Ronda Valley, who was staying with us at the time, I said, look at these, Nan. She said, oh, what's that then? I said, punk rock. And she went, pink rock. <laughs> <laughs> and off we went to be pink rockers. <laughs> pink rock was Sonny else entirely, I think. I know, exactly. <laughs> and we start with that. We were, very, we were very clever at the disco, or I don't know, clever, really, or, you know. Or we stupid. Were, yeah, or stupid, yes, a fine line of spinal tap. Uh, I think uh, we knew the DJ and he played a little bit of punk, but mm. we didn't pogo to the pink rock. We waited until Float On by the Floaters came on and we danced to that, but in a punky style. Luckily, it was sort of ironic dancing, was it? Yeah, kind of ironic. We didn't get beaten up, which was a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I was forever getting beaten up for. Um, wearing straight trousers. And you see, I, I tried to explain this to my kids recently. Uh, and I said, well, when, you, when I was at university, I gravitated towards those people who had straight jeans because I thought they'd be into the same music and stuff as me, the pink rock. Yeah, the, the old pink rock. And they, and they sort of looked at me blankly 
and and they said well surely everyone was wearing straight jeans i said no no everyone was wearing flares they said oh, i thought that was just sort of a hippie thing in the early 70s just a few weirdos i said no it was impossible to buy straight jeans yeah. in a shop they were all flared yeah it was a, it was a bold statement to wear a, a straight jeans. yes we were rebelling against rebelling against the status quo, weren't we? Yeah. Overthrowing the uh, patriarchy with our straight trousers. Yes, and it really worked, didn't it? We see, Charlie, it's interesting, we're talking about subversive stuff and, and classical music. You probably know more about this than I do, but Verdi was considered quite subversive and politically uh, a political activist with a lot of his stuff. Yeah, well, uh, classical music, now it's sort of become seen as this sort of by some people as this sort of stuffy old thing and it was all very nice and it's very polite in Radio 3. But in its time, it was the dominant music of the day. So it's, it's had all sorts of, yeah. um, it'd been thought of in all sorts of different ways. Uh, but Sally, maybe we can come and talk, we'll talk about that a bit later because I just want to yeah. stick with your sure. childhood for a moment. Oh, right. Um, no, I was going to say my white jeans. No, <laughs> I think we've had enough of your white jeans. Uh, um, now, you grew up in a in a fairly working class family, particularly your Welsh side of the family. Yes. Yes. That's all you're going to say. Here's me feeding you. Oh, <laughs> my my most favourite person to interview was Paul Whitehouse. I just couldn't shut him up. <laughs> I've been talking non-stop, Charlie. Well, I, no. Let me explain my background. It's quite unusual. I flipped between the classes, really. You know. Yes. Uh, my family were uh we i was born in the ronda valley in the in the house that my uh auntie was born in you know since just through generations a proper little mining uh, community in the ronda valley and that was my dad's side of the family and my mum's side of the family there are two ronda valleys for those of you who want to know or care or don't but there are two and my mum came from the other side of the ronda valley so, uh, yeah, I'm steeped in that, and it's a nice little badge of honour and one that I can sort of bring out when I'm feeling I want to be prolier than thou, you know? Um, but you also, but your mother also was a great singer and became an... Yeah, an and opera, was she an opera singer before you were born, presumably? Uh, just. My mum, mm. as I say, my, my dad's family was very Christian. Uh, in fact, uh, my, my granddad was a Catholic, but he married a Protestant you know, and became that, that sort of Welsh Methodist chapel. So, but they were very Christian. My mum's family was a, a little bit more uh, outre in that uh, my nan believed in the spirit world. And mm. uh, she was visited by Jesus Christ. This is the pink rock one. <laughs> she had a vivid imagination, which I plundered quite a bit, actually. She claimed <laughs> that she had the, her blood, five pints of her blood sucked by a pig moth. And that Jesus Christ himself appeared to her at the bottom of her bed. And so my mum's family, <laughs> my mum was taken out. She was quite a bright woman. She got into grammar school, you know, as a kid, but she was taken out of school at 14 and went to work in a shop, you know. And then she met my dad. And my dad's family, uh, as I say, had slightly that sort of Christian background. So there was a bit more, it was a bit more open to what, you would say it was culture, I suppose. And yeah, now, so, uh, so, no, no, sorry, no, no, no I'm interrupted. No, let me finish. Well, <laughs> go on and finish. Well, 
So, yes, it's a very working class background, but there were options that, you know, opened up to people, especially in Wales, where singing is such a big tradition, that are regarded as middle class in England. And so yeah. when we moved to Enfield, which again was a sort of mixture of working class, lower middle class people, we stood out in many ways because you could hear my mum warbling in the front room, which is very embarrassing when I'm playing football and trying to be a mockney. And I believe you claimed that you were singing opera yourself from an extremely young age. <laughs> I was told that I could sing non pian dry when I was 18 months old. But actually, Charlie, it's not a big thing. At 18 months, I probably couldn't speak. What, not a big thing to sing an opera aria. Oh, wait, and, uh, let's, let's get it in perspective. One, at 18 months, language doesn't mean anything or, you know, in different languages. It's just a sound that you can re recreate if you're very intelligent like what. And actually, the tune of non pian dry is quite simplistic. It's just dum da da dum da da dum da 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 It's like a nursery rhyme, isn't it? Uh, you've also chosen another aria from um, Marriage of Figaro to have a listen to, which is Por, por Giamo or por, por Guillermo? I think it's Por Giamo, isn't it? I don't know. I'm asking you. Well, I don't know, Charlie. Yes. <laughs> do, do you think it's because I only know one opera quite well? That's not true. But can I say why? I, I, I mean, it's sublime, this piece of music. It's very well known and quite popular. But what is amazing about it, Apart from it's, it's beautiful, there's a there's a little sort of time signature um, that I think a lot of pop music and even reggae has appropriated, and you you might hear in the in the build up to just the in the introduction there's a sort of the the kind of bass plays on the offbeat and it always throws me and I think oh you you clever bugger Mozart. Well, it's interesting, you know, because because obviously most people only really listen to the the top line, the singing line, but, uh, you know, there is a whole orchestra fiddling around underneath. Fiddling. And fiddling around is the technical term. And uh, here's a, a lovely uh, aria, I believe it's called, with a, <laughs> a great big orchestra fiddling and diddling underneath. And was this a piece that, that you would have heard your mother singing around the house? Uh, I would possibly have heard my mum Singing it, certainly I would have heard it being played because uh, classical, uh, where especially opera, was played quite a bit in, in the house, yeah. Uh, it's interesting that it sounds like a lot of the music you listened to as a kid was was opera and stuff. I mean, I, I got into classical music, I think, through the, th through the more sort of, uh, the more banging pieces. Oh, yeah. Uh, certainly as a boy, it was things like Mars, Bringer of War. Uh, or Ravel's Bolero, or um, eighteen twelve overture, of course, because that's got actual cannons in it. It got explosions. So you know that the technical term for that, Charlie, is the crash bang wallop. Um, yes, the crash bang yeah. wallop. Crash bang wallop pieces. You know. And I remember. I mean, my 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 dad was was quite into classical music, and he used to take me to to concerts in London, and including going to see the eighteen twelve overture, which, when done properly, they have real cannons in the uh, the Albert Hall, I think it was, that I went to see it in. Right. And, and I just thought, well, why doesn't all classical music have cannons <laughs> gunfire? You know, if you went to see The Who, you'd want Keith Moon's drums to explode at the end, wouldn't you? Or you'd feel cheated. Yes, and, and, and for know. Pete Townsend to smash his guitar up. Yeah, and similarly, you go and see the 1812 Overture, you want to see part of um, 
the Royal Albert Hall's roof blown off by Wilson. Yes. <laughs> it's an expensive production, though, isn't it? Yeah, but that's the way to get people into classical music. <laughs> artillery, heavy artillery. But, I mean, the other thing also that, that for a lot of kids of my generation would have got them into classical music was cost Walt Disney's Fantasia. Yes. Which I remember going to see at the cinema. I mean, it had been around a while, but this must have been early 60s I went to see it. And well, of course, that was one of my dad's favorite films because he would have seen it when he was young. And I yeah. think it might have actually generated his interest in classical music. And you go, is it the pastoral, Beethoven? Pastoral? It's the pastoral, yes. Yeah, and it, it's hard now for me to listen to the pastoral without imagining those little, bloody <laughs> unicorns, little babies, <laughs> unicorns, and centaurs, and, and little fairies. Yeah. Uh, but also, of course, the, the, there was the Rite of Spring in that, which, which is a great crash band wallop piece right. of music. Uh, and for me, the Rite of Spring will always be associated with dinosaurs. <laughs> crashing and banging about the place. So let's hear a piece from the Rite of Spring by uh, Igor Stravinsky. This is The Augurs of Spring, Dances of the Young Girls. You're listening to Charlie Higson and Friends here on Scala Radio. I'm Charlie Higson, and my friend this week is Paul Whitehouse. Genuinely, uh, this my... week, Charlie. Are we only friends this week? Yes, for the oh. purposes of this show. Okay. For the rest of the time, I don't particularly like you. <laughs> no, uh, but as we were talking about before, Paul and I uh, go way back to 1977. So you are officially my my oldest friend. Okay. Well, that's nice to know. Thanks, Charlie. Bank and, we, and we were just listening to a, a piece that we both would have known from our childhoods, uh, made famous, well, made famous by Stravinsky, but popularised in Walt Disney's Fantasia. That was the Augurs of Spring, Dances of the Young Girls. And it's one of those tracks that you sort of feel that perhaps John Williams might have had a bit of a listen to uh, whilst coming up with the music for Jaws. I mean, it's, that music has influenced so much film yeah. music anything I mean, sort of dramatic and, well it was film music of course in, in itself in the end it, it, well it fantastic yes. i mean originally a, a ballet oh was it a ballet? yes it, and it was all oh, about wow. these sort of going back to these primitive uh pagan yeah. rituals of spring and there was um a riot on the first night it was performed in the 1920s i believe oh, uh riots weren't they the opening performances of so many of these works that you don't hear about really you don't you know you don't you don't think of classical music as we were sort of saying they're stirring up such raw emotions but of course as you say it was the it was the music of the time and so yes, it, it, and it, it was, was it hadn't was, been relegated to the sort of you know the 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 fustier echelons of society yes and um and it and it and it shouldn't be and you know it's great that channels like Scala Radio are helping to to make classical music less intimidating, less a sort of fusty old thing from the past and more actually such a huge part of our lives. I mean, particularly through films and games. And well, we're talking there about how the Rite of Spring has, has influenced um, 
John Williams in the writing. Yeah, I, I would think so as well. And, and of course, you know, I mean, people remember that that Jaws signature. And, yeah, well, you 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 asked to have that played as an example of. Yeah. I think of of film music that 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 becomes every day and be, becomes very well known. Yeah, and it and it sounds like a piece of classical music, doesn't it? I think. Well, let's well let's listen to it. Let's listen to Jaws. Now, eagle-eyed listeners, or should that be eagle-eared? No, Can you be uh, eagle-eared? Bat-eared. Right. Now, bat-eared listeners uh, will, of course, know that that wasn't Jaws by John Williams. Uh, that was actually the fourth movement of Dvorak's New World Symphony. Uh, probably the best-known bit of that is the one they used to use in the, in the Hovis advert. But um, that was the, the fourth movement, the Allegro Con fuoco. Uh, and, you know, there is nothing new in music and one takes influences from everywhere. Um, but just for those people who were really eager to actually hear the music from Jaws, let's hear how John Williams did it. So that was a Jaws theme, the main title from, well, from Jaws by the great John Williams. And as we're playing tunes from the movies, it's worth a reminder that Mark Kermode serves up two hours of film music every Saturday here on Scala. If you missed his show yesterday, listen back via scalaradio.co.uk or on the free Scala Radio app. We were talking a bit about the sort of the crossover between film music and classical music. You know, it's, been, it's been a great help for a lot of classical music, hasn't it, actually, the Advent film? Yes. As I would say, put it out there, Charlie. Isn't it? Yes. Well, exactly. And uh, there's so many people who say, oh, I don't ever listen to classical music. I don't like classical music. And yet they do. They'll listen to hours of it all the time, whether it's through uh, actual reusing old classical pieces in films and TV or, or, or pieces written you know, orchestral pieces scored sure. for it. Do you listen to much uh, film music uh, at home? Not really. I'm not like you, Charlie. I'm not, I'm not a film buff. You and uh, Commode and several of our friends are, are very into the films, I know. But And that's why I never participate in quiz nights with you lot, because I have no idea and have very little interest in who directed what. But you like the music. But I love the music. So, I mean, other than Jaws, do you have any other particular favourite sort of uh, film music soundtracks that are stuck in the mind? No. Okay, moving along. <laughs> You're definitely not joining my pub quiz team. I do it every night, every Monday night. I've been doing it since, do? since the start of lockdown. It's so the start of time. Over a year now, every Monday night, uh, our team that used to... Uh, 
do it do it down the pub the pub quiz we've been meeting on zoom every monday night and we take we all ask questions each and uh, it's been actually a fabulous way to keep in touch with people yeah do you do any regular any any regular zooms with family friends uh, fairly irregular zooms i'm not i don't particularly enjoy zooms like multiple zooms you know you don't particularly enjoy anything though do you i do what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> really not true. Um, what, were, what, what were you talking about, Charlie? I can't remember before you just criticised me. Your pub quiz, that was it. Yes. Yeah, have you been successful? Well, uh, we, our team has sort of split into, into units of two or three people uh, and we've, we've, we've sort of gathered a few others. So we, we do it for really for fun and just as a way to get together and keep in touch yeah. with each other. We ask the questions to and of each other. So each week I'll I'll come up with ten questions and David's team will come up with ten questions. So it uh, it works like that. But but Paul, I mean, one of the things you obviously do enjoy is listening to opera. You've chosen a lot of opera pieces. This next piece is Visidate from Tosca, um, sung by Callas. Yeah, I know it's a it's a, it's a sort of go to aria and a go to soprano really. I think Charlie for lots of people. Also, for me, um, my mum used to sing this piece and could sing it very well. You can sense with uh, Callas why people love Callas. Sometimes her voice is sort of sounds a bit thin and grates a little bit, but she brings passion and intensity into this. There's a bit at the end. Uh, technically, she can be brilliant as well. There's a little bit at the end where she holds this note and then sort of brings it back and you think she's going to stop and a lot of People do stop and start, and she sort of takes this note and keeps it going down very low, quietly, and then builds it up again. And it's it's sublime, and it's a beautiful piece of music. It's uh, I like all the tear jerking, tuneful opera stuff. I have I, I think I was being a bit flippant with you on this, and said I was going to choose a load of Michael Tippett. I don't know anything about Michael Tippett other than he's a <laughs> modern composer. So I thought it was going to be really atonal stuff, you know, like any. You know, as we used to call jazz, the jazzers, A-O-N, any old note. <laughs> any old note, Any yes. old note will do. And I thought it would be like that kind of stuff, you know, challenging music. But then I listened to a bit of Michael Tippett as part of my... I did take this fairly seriously, Charlie, what we're doing together now. You thought maybe I could play I thought maybe I'd better listen to some. And it was really <laughs> lovely and quite melodic and a lot, a lot of beautiful vocal harmonies. But uh, I'm going to stick with the tried and trusted. And Puccini, in a way, was a, a sort of throwback you know, even in opera terms, because he, you know, he's he was writing about a century ago, just before, and, you know, that great period of sort of romantic opera, everyone thought I was over by then. But he came and uh, revitalised it and did what uh, all opera composers should do, which is write beautiful tunes that make you want to cry. Yeah, and I mean, I mean the other thing is Puccini, uh, when people sort of, a lot of people talking about opera, thinking about opera, think it's, well, it's sort of old fashioned stories set in the olden days about, you know, people in Viking helmets. Mm. But actually Puccini, Puccini's operas were all contemporary when he wrote them. They were about things that were going on in the world around him. Mm. Um, and yeah, it was interesting what you're saying about Callas, because I mean, it requires such extraordinary skill to be um, an opera singer, to be a, a soprano. She sort of personified that, uh, vulnerability and diva-like yeah. sort of you know, and, she, and she's not just standing at the front of the stage belting it out at the top of her voice. <laughs> no. So let's hear, well, let's hear uh, Maria Callas singing Visidate from Tosca. 
Hi, you're listening to Charlie Higson and Friends here on Scala Radio. I'm with my old friend, my oldest friend, Paul Whitehouse, this week, who chose that piece of music, Vise Date, from Tosca, as sang by the wonderful, oh, the marvellous Maria Callas. In this episode of Charlie Higson and Friends, we heard the altar dance and heavenly pavan by Vaughan Williams, performed by the Halle Orchestra, conducted by Sir Mark Elder. The clip from The Rite of Spring by Stravinsky was performed by the St. Petersburg Philharmonic Orchestra, and the finale of Vorjak's Symphony No. 9 was performed by the Chinake Orchestra. And both extracts were used with permission from Signum Records. This episode also featured extracts of the main theme from Jaws, composed and conducted by John Williams, and we heard Maria Callas and the Theatre of La Scala Milan performing Visi Date by Puccini. In the next episode of the Charlie Higson and Friends podcast, Paul and Charlie talk about Match of the Day, music snobbery, DJ Mike Smash, going to the opera in your shorts and T-shirt, and much more. And if you'd like to discover more about classical music, check out Scala Radio, home to Angelica Bell, Simon Mayo, Mark Kermode, Penny Smith, and me, Hannah Cox, broadcasting across the UK on DAB Digital Radio, online, smart speaker, on the free-to-download app, and on Sky TV channel 0216.